All right, the stem bridges. Appreciate that so very much. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalms chapter 22. Psalm 22, but we're also going to be looking at Romans 1 very quickly. But right now we're going to look at Psalms uh, 22 and probably read verses 9 through 11. Here's a text and then have a word of prayer and then get into it. And when I get into it, I'll go right to Romans chapter 1. Now we're looking at the um, <clears throat> last, um, really getting down to last week of before the cross. Do you realize this? Jesus knew all about the cross and what it was going to do in his humanity or to his human spirit. He was, that was fully revealed to him. He knew it. He designed the plan before eternity uh, started, you might say. Back in eternity past. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. But one day Jesus would have to become a man. The Son of God would become the sons of, Son of Man that the sons of men might become sons of God. Well, what a great thought about that, but the payment. Think of that. But just think of this, knowing what he was facing, knowing the pain of a cruel cross. Now, a lot of the world in that day when somebody was going to be condemned to death and they would be placed on the cross, they knew what that was going to be like. Horrible thing. And you've heard sermons and others give descriptions of it, and it's horrible. But one thing that uh, the artist, the movie makers, the penman could not really write is the outpoured almighty wrath of God on a human spirit. There are not words, there are not videos, there are not anything that can portray that to us today. But Jesus knew all about it. Is it any wonder he sweat drops as if they were blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? But I want you to think about this. What if you knew that you had about a week to live and the pain that you would have, maybe you have one of these things that we call a terminal thing and you've been told, You'll probably die in one week. You need to have your whole family together. Let them know that it could be at any time. And there's pain and there's other things. And we've all heard of that. We've, most of us have had family members where we were expecting to go at any time. We knew about pain involved. We knew about some other things involved for them. We witnessed it. We watched it. And it's never a, a pleasant thought or pleasant memory. But what would you do in your life that if you knew one week from now you were going to die? What would you do? Because actually, as saved people, that's how our lives should be lived each day. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, 
you need to make sure of it today because you have no promise of tomorrow. Do you know if you die today that heaven's your home? Well, let's look at verses 9 through 11. <coughs> Excuse me. And there we see, and we covered this last week, but I'm doing this by, as a part of just going back and looking what we've covered. But thou art he that took me out of my, out of the womb. Now think about this. This is the cross over a thousand years before being told to us what was going to happen. And it does happen. So thou art he, that is God, the Father's he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Seeing his father, God, now from a human perspective. Although he still maintains his deity, he is fully man, fully human, fully a soul and spirit. And it is now what he's facing at the cross. And so he says to the Father, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. He's aware of the great trouble that's about to come. Well, let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we need you, Lord, to take it home to the heart of each and every person. And that includes my heart. We need that which has daily, ongoing effect on our lives that pleases you. So, Father, help us to listen. For this is a message, not from me, but from you. I'm just the vehicle that you will use today to convey it to others in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Last week, I spoke on Jesus' body being actually uh, formed inside of Mary by the Father. Inside the womb, and we've seen all of that in those verses that we just looked at. Mary, the one chosen to bear him. And he's drawn by the Father from the womb. And I want you to see that effect on us today in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So that's what I'm going to read here right now because it's so important that we see this. We're told, and again, I, I don't know how this would be known, but it is said that after the resurrection that the, the apostles that went out preaching the word everywhere preached more on the resurrection than they did the cross. 
Now, I don't see how you separate one from the other. They go together. But how would they know that? I don't know. I don't know that they knew that for sure. That's kind of a thing that, how can you verify that? But obviously, they did preach. How amazed were they when they witnessed the, 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 the crucifixion? And, and ladies came and said, he's risen. They thought, oh no. They've seen some kind of a vision. They're a bunch of drama queens there, you know. And then Jesus appears to them in the room. Shows them his hands and his side. But you see, they had witnessed a... Uh, before, as well as that one, they had witnessed a crucifixion. How can anybody be raised from the dead after something like that? I mean, they could see the guy being carried in the casket at Nain, and, and Jesus heals him. The girl raised from the dead that Jesus healed. Oh, they had seen those things. But nothing from such a tragic death. Bloody death as this. That no one had seen it that. But they could say, you can have everlasting life because he is risen. Amen. What a blessing that is to know that. So, we see an example here in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. You know, sometimes you like to read something like that and just think about it. Paul, before this, his name was Saul, and God changed his name to Paul, meaning little. He may have been a little man, but he became of great value. You know, you see a diamond ring. And uh, the diamond may be small, but it's of great value, is it not? And here is Paul, who went around persecuting those that would preach the gospel. He would break into homes where they were meeting to have a church meeting, you might say, and he would drag them off to prison, confiscating the, the goods of the house having them beaten, consenting unto the death. In other words, he was giving the verdict, go ahead and kill Stephen for preaching the word. A man who hated the name of Jesus Christ. A man who hated all things to do with that. A man who was well trained in the law, learning at the feet of Gamaliel. Today, people say, a Harvard education. Well, in that day, that would be like having a Harvard education. And oh, they would go on about that. And here he is. On the road to Damascus, his life has changed when he meets the Savior. And now he is separated unto the gospel of God. Now remember, in separation, you are separated from something, but you are separated unto something else. 
Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And we'll go on talking about different verses that mention the idea of holiness in the Christian life. He saved you from your sin. He didn't just save you to keep you from hell. He saved you to have everlasting life, but that life is the God life. That life is a holy life. And therefore, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might be holy and acceptable unto Him. Amen. Yes. He was separated to the gospel of God, that thing that He once persecuted, that which made Him, drove Him to want to kill people. Now He's preaching the gospel of God. So in separation... Here separated unto something. Paul, the persecutor. Paul is now preaching the gospel and suffering for it. Truly, we can say someone who would kill a Stephen, someone who would drag. Men and women. Now the idea there, howling them off, and the idea they would drag them through the gravel. If you've ever been in Israel, you see a lot of gravel. They'd drag them through the gravel, just going on to the, throw them in the dungeon, throw them in a jail. And God saved that man, and not only saved him, but uses him. He will be used of God to write many books of the New Testament. Now they won't be his words, they'll be God's words that he'll write down word for word as God breathes those words out. But what I want you to understand is, is what great grace it took to save a man like that. You realize it took no less grace to save any of our souls. None of us ever deserved to be saved. None of us ever deserved to receive Christ as our Savior. But in that great grace of God, He allows it. And so, he goes on in verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What's he saying? <laughs> the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're seeing that, by the way, in Psalms 22. A thousand years before that. Actually, it goes f further back than that. The Old Testament was also taking us towards Jesus Christ. Even though sacrifices looked at what Christ would do for us one day. And even though we're not under the same thing as far as kosher food, yet kosher food was to help teach separation. And whereas we can eat the meats that they could not eat today, 
It also demonstrated something to us. Something that happens in the life of a sinner. That without Christ. When Christ sanctifies it, don't call it common or unclean. He's made it clean. And so, all of this concerning Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says uh, in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman, the seed doesn't come of the woman. So what happened? God formed a seed in Mary. When the Holy Ghost came upon her, you see, the work of Jesus being born, a human body, was the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of them coming together to do this. And yet, Mary was of the seed of David because her body was passed from parent to parent, not God making her body inside of another person. And so, we find that when we read the gospel accounts, that the genealogy of Mary as well as the genealogy of Joseph is given. You'd wonder why the genealogies in the Gospels as we read them. Because it was to show that Mary was the seed of David because Jesus would become of the seed. Not the seed, but of the seed. Mary is the seed. The Father would form Jesus in her and she would nourish, using her body to nourish him and yet keep everything holy. That's the way it would work. And so, be formed. And then Joseph, isn't that interesting? Joseph's genealogy? You say, well, what does Joseph have to do with it? You know, that's a man of faith. He's thinking, do I have her put away? She's with child. And the father in a dream appears unto him. God appears to him in a dream and says, oh, that holy thing that's conceived of hers of God. It's going to be a virgin birth, just like it was predicted. And by faith, I mean, no man, no man, I don't know any man alive today that would say Oh, my wife got pregnant, but it was a virgin birth. No. No one would say that. Well, it wasn't any different back then. But Joseph believes God, and he takes her unto him. He will not know her in the marital way until after the birth of Jesus Christ. But he will take care of her. And what a man of faith so that when God speaks to him to leave Bethlehem, go on to Egypt. Because Herod's going to try to kill him. Man of faith. 
And so it was so important that he come up through the seed of David, according to the flesh, that is, but that Jesus have a father that's a godly father and a mother who is chosen of God as a godly mother. And we see the next verse, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power. You know, when something was declared, it was like an official edict. This is an official edict from God. This is the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness. It's a Holy Spirit. By the resurrection from the dead. Now you're seeing the importance. It shows that even in humanity, God would raise himself from the dead, even from such a cruel cross and a new body, a body, a great body. The resurrection from the dead is seen in our salvation. We receive him because he raised from the dead. It will guarantee our own salvation. And he'll make us holy. He wants to make us acceptable unto him, but it takes us to receive his word and then act upon it, even as Christians. Mary received his salvation. Then from that point forward, she carried the Son of God. I mean, she, she would have the Son of God be given to her and formed in her. But from that point, she became an instrument that God could use down the road. You got saved. You know, young man gets saved. He's not the pastor or preacher right then. But he can become an instrument that God uses down the road. A missionary down the road. Or the person on the job that can be used down the road to bring fellow employees to Christ. And so... Having said all that, verse 11 of our text in Psalms 22, now Jesus is on the cross. The wrath of the Father is going to be poured out upon him. But right now, it's man doing all that he can do to his human body. And Satan and his minions are going to do their best to add to that. That torture. So he says, be not far from me. For trouble is near. Oh, the trouble of not only the crucifixion, but of the almighty wrath of God poured out upon his human spirit. And there is no help. And now we see the purpose of his coming. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus, now unless you think Jesus is a liar, and he's not, but Jesus said, the Son of Man is come to save 
that which was lost. That was his purpose in coming. Back in 1811, there were two men that produced a new Bible manuscript. We call it the critical text. I find it interesting. I really do. It's interesting to me how gullible people can be, even with many letters after their name in degrees. They had the critical text that had its formation way back there in the 1800s. 1881, I think, is when they completed it. And when they completed it, they scientifically arrived. Yet every four years, they scientifically change it ever since then. And they can't tell you from the most recent one if in four years they're going to change it again. But my God changes not. And so, they came up with text. It's interesting how they did that. They went through all of Europe. They'd go into monasteries and so forth. They went into one monastery and they were using pages of these texts they had and using them for fire to help burn the fire because they felt like that is not even the real thing. They took that. Said, well, hey, don't throw out anymore. We'll use it. And they gathered manuscripts, mainly from Catholic churches. They didn't want the Texas Receptus and the Masoretic text. They wanted something different. And so... Because of their hate of the King James Bible, they had secret meetings, got a group together, every one of them liberal in their theology. <laughs> Some of them even worshiped Mary, to be honest with you. Liberal in their theology, they got together and formed a new text, Greek text, that they might be able to make a new Bible. And I read to you Matthew 18 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. They left that out. In a Bible now, sometimes you'll see it in something that's not a King James, either left out or in brackets and say, this is not in the best manuscripts. I got news for them, it is. It is. I mean, they left the blood out of Colossians 1 14, forgiveness of sins through his blood. They left out through the blood. They thought it shouldn't be in there. And isn't it interesting that their statement they made, and by the way, while they were putting that all together, all those that worked with them were under secrecy not to let anything known what was going on. They wanted to take everybody by surprise. Because those true to the word wouldn't stand for it. Well, They left out two words, and they said, this was their statement when they made their first production. We left out nothing that was of any doctrinal importance. So therefore, obviously then, in Colossians 1.14, the blood for forgiveness of sin is not important, and the Son of Man come to save that which was lost is not important. You see, when they'll lie unto you, 
don't trust them. The devil is a liar and the father of it, and he's behind that text. Now, so, why would he say then in our text in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Well, in his birth, Herod tried to kill him. In the garden of Gethsemane, the torment of what's coming up, but in the wilderness, Satan is out there tempting him, trying to get him to jump off a pinnacle of the temple. Uh, hey, God cares for you. He's going to keep you from dying if you hit the ground, you know. He says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He let no, I'm still your God. I'm still God. But that old lion who we see in verse 13 is a ravening and a roaring lion. And it's, by the way, your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He tried that to Jesus. That's why he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so, this was true from his mother's womb. For he whom God hath sent, Jesus Christ. Now let me read to you from John chapter 3. Verse 34, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. That's what Jesus did. For God giveth, God giveth not the Spirit by means unto him. The Father giveth the Son. And what has he given unto him? All things into his hands. That he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God has come upon him, the very wrath that Jesus took for us so that we wouldn't have to take it for eternity. That's why his resurrection, because the man's not going to raise himself from hell. Jesus has the keys of death and of hell. Man can't do it. Only Christ can. He who is God come in the flesh. He that believeth on him. He conquered all that ever conquered us. And so my friend, how do I come to him? Come to him in repentance and faith. Oh, I think of verse 1 of chapter 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his human spirit, he would have no help. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How was it joy to endure it? It said that he despised the shame that he was hung naked. So how was there joy? Because... He was going to save your soul if you would receive him. 
and change your life. Even so, that what God has cleansed, call it not common or unclean. Remember in the Old Testament, Rahab, the harlot. In the New Testament, she's called Rahab, the harlot. But now she's just called that. Why? Because that wasn't her after the Lord saved her. What God has cleansed, call it not common nor unclean. Oh, Rahab the harlot. You know what? Men still called her Rahab the harlot. But she's in the line of Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Christ come through that line. David was of her seed. You know what? You have something terrible in your past. People won't let it go. People won't forget it. People will try to bring it up. They'll warn others about you. But they don't determine your salvation. Christ does. Take Christ at his word. You know, people that have to spend their life on telling the bad things about others, more than likely they need to be saved themselves. If God will accept them, if if they'll receive Christ and he will save them, why do you reject them? But that's not what this is about. This is about coming to Jesus Christ yourself right now. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. And my friend, repent and believe. Repent is not do penance, by the way. Repentance means... I'm turning from depending on myself. I'm turning to being about me, and I'm turning to Jesus Christ who can save me. Instead of my life being about what exalts me, now my life is going to be about Jesus Christ. And I believe that he died on the cross, shed his blood on that cross to die for my sin, all my sin for all time, forever. He paid it all. And three days later, he rose up from the dead. Victorious over hell and the grave. Therefore, he has the keys of death and of hell. And he said, whosoever. (laughs) That included me. That includes you. That includes anybody walking on the face of this earth today. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That is, they won't go to hell, but have everlasting life. You see, the people in hell live forever, but you don't call that life. But in heaven, you can call it life. Now, is there a time in your life where you realize that you're a sinner? Because every one of us are born sinners headed to an eternal lake of fire if we don't get saved. So was there ever a time in your life where you realize, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? And believing that Jesus Christ was that Savior, you called upon Him to save your soul. And you know that if you die today, that heaven's your home. Do you know that for sure? If not, today I'm going to give you an invitation to walk this aisle, meet me here at the front, and I'll direct you to someone trained in the Word of God that will open the Bible and show you how to be saved. If you're 
listening by the radio station today or watching by the live stream, on our radio station, we will have the plan of salvation at 1215 Eastern Time. And you can hear it completely through. But my friend, I want you to have that opportunity to receive Christ as Savior right now. Will you come to Him? Father,